All right, y'all, we're in Matthew chapter 6. And uh, honestly and truly, what a fitting passage for us today. Because I've always, from the beginning of Cross Life, found it interesting how God will bring in um, like waves of guests, and then sometimes on some Sundays He kind of whittles it back down, and it's like members or faithful guests who've been here for a while who are really plugged in, and then He'll bring in wave of guests who, who like if they heard, like they come in, and He just does it sovereignly. This, I think, is a message for what I would consider like the core, the committed, the way that the ones that we're kind of holding to, because if a guest, just if this were their first Sunday, to be quite honest, then, then they wouldn't know quite maybe what to do with all of this. And uh, because I know you and you know me, then I can also lovingly lay some stuff down before you that we need to rightly wrestle with. And so I just think that it's always peaceable, and it's what Andy and I always pray whenever we're, we're getting ready to preach the word is, Lord, you've gathered in those that you want gathered in today, Right? So here we go. In, in Matthew 6, this is where we're going to pick up. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount. And last week we moved through chapter 5. And we did a lot of um, categories or a lot of uh, sins or categorical sins. About six of them last week we, we walked through many of them. And, and what it was really doing was reestablishing the line and what Jesus expects of us. That should be what we want. Like whenever we are looking at our lives, whenever we are considering ourselves before God, our simple question should be, what does my Jesus, what does my God want of me? And in the Sermon on the Mount, he makes it very clear. And he's going to do it all throughout the rest of Matthew. But Andy, a couple of weeks ago, used a phrase that we used over and over again. And that was, the Pharisees said, here's the line. And Jesus would say, no, we're going to redraw the line. It's actually here. And what we saw last week is it was closer to the heart. The matters are always closer to the heart. So that was last week. This week, it moves more from that internal righteousness that we should be striving for to external righteousness that we are doing before others. So this week, we pick up with um, serving or giving to the needy. Next week, we're going to install new church leadership. And then the following week, we're going to pick up on prayer. And we're going to pick up on fasting. And in all of those, there's a key word at the very, very beginning of them that we're going to hone in a whole lot on today, and it's, it's going to like shape all of us. So we're going to get there. But what does Jesus want from us? Besides our heart, besides our commitment, like what does it look like to follow him in this world? That's what the Sermon on the Mount really helps us to do. I want to ask a question for me. What does a righteous life look like? Not according to Pharisees not according to Sadducees or scribes or a pastor in a pulpit. Like, what does a righteous life look like? That's what I want. And we go to Jesus. Yes, he is our righteousness. Yes, he made us righteous. But our righteousness, where we are positionally in heaven, means that we have to live differently in this world. I just want to know what that looks like. Like, I don't want to have to, like, figure it out like a Rubik's Cube. And praise the Lord, he didn't make it a Rubik's Cube. He said, here's what you do, Ricky. And so it's clear. Y'all join me in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. God's Word says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. 
Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, we're going to pray one more time. Lord, I pray that your word is living and active within us today, and that we are recipients and honor your word. Lord, because what gets laid before us in your word calls us to obedience. And so, Lord, give us that heart. Lord, where we should be comforted, give us comfort. And where we should be convicted, give us conviction. And Lord, in all those things, lead us to thanks, because you have so richly and deeply loved us. Amen. All right, so let's do what we do. We're going to just start in verse 1 and start walking through this. And here is what we see in verse 1. Take a look at this. By the way, if I have like a heading for this one, it's motive is the matter. Like motive is what we've got to pay attention to in, in, as we're working through the Sermon on the Mount, especially this passage and the, the upcoming ones. Motive is the issue. It's the matter. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Just so you know, this is an overarching statement for like the next three passages. The one on um, giving to the needy today, like we need to beware of practicing before other people. The one on prayer, he addresses it before other people. The one on fasting, it's before other people. So you and I need to know that this is going to be an all-encompassing verse that we're going to come back to each week on each passage, okay? Here's what I want you to be careful of. If we are not careful, and we're often not careful, but if we're not careful, then we read into this passage the wrong thing. We read into it, and we give ourselves an excuse not to serve, give, pray, or fast. So if we're not careful, we're reading the entirely wrong message here. We read that beware of practicing before others, and we think, oh, Okay, I, well, I can't go do that because that's before other people. I, I don't want to do this because then other people are going to see it. And we give ourselves an excuse. That's not what he's saying at all. It's not that everything that we, should, that we do should be done in secret, but that we need to be mindful of our motive. That's the catch. If it is so that we can be seen and praised by others, that's the problem. And if I, I'll just tell you for my, right now, if that's the problem already for you, then how great the Father's love for us that we say, God, I know I've done this for men's praises. Forgive me, and you know that you are fully forgiven. But it may also be that you're not doing it for the praise of people, but you didn't know that you're supposed to be doing it to be seen by people. We're going to get to that by the end. All that we do is not to be done in secret. It is to be seen by others so that they can glorify Him. So if we're not careful with this one verse... My sinful heart, Ricky's sinful heart, steps in and says, oh, well, then we need to make sure we're not doing anything until we can know this. And we make ourselves, um, we excuse ourselves. The whole point of it is not that we don't do acts of righteousness, it's that we're careful when we do them. That makes sense? Everybody with me? Okay, because that's kind of a premise here. Y'all, if the motive is wrong, then we are nothing but Pharisees. If we love or seeking the attention and approval of others, then our affections are wrong. And I'm just telling you, I have played the part of a Pharisee so many times. 
It's how we're wired. How do you know if you're doing it for the approval of men or for the, the, the attention of men? When you don't get it from them, you're hurt or discouraged. Like you've done this, you've been doing this, and you're not hearing any praise, you're not hearing any acknowledgement, you're not hearing any thank you, no attention is going to you. And while you would never say, I want the attention, in your heart of hearts, you're discouraged because does anybody even care that you're doing this? Like that's a good gut check for us. And I am a Pharisee and a scribe and a Sadducee at different phases in my life. And all I really want us to do, you and I, is for you not to repeat what I have and not to fall back into what you have, but that we just keep our eyes on Christ and we apologize and we repent of what we've done. We confess it and we keep marching towards him. But this whole first sentence, if we're not careful, we read into it entirely the wrong thing. So I just, he says, be careful. He says, beware of doing your righteousness before others. He doesn't say, don't do your righteousness before others. Okay, there's a distinction there. Y'all look at Matthew chapter 23. Here's what he's trying to correct last week and this week and so many things in proclaiming the gospel to us. Matthew chapter 23. If you want to know who the Pharisees are and who the, the scribes are and the Sadducees, take a look at Matthew 23. And you will understand this better. In Matthew 23, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do observe whatever they tell you. Okay, that's, that's important. They sit on Moses' seat. In other words, they are the religious leaders. What they tell you, you need to be doing. All right, you got that? Now watch what he says. But not the works they do. So do whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make phylacter their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. In other words, the way they were, they would have tassels that they would wear, and the longer the tassel, like the greater the honor they deserved. Like the way that they dressed was meant to command attention and to say, here's where I'm ranked and here's how you should honor me. That's what that means, okay? Verse six, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. They love honor by men. They love to be seen. They love to be known. And they're gonna make themselves known in every single way. That's what Jesus is correcting Whenever he says, this is what my disciples will look like, they will not look and walk and talk and expect like that. They will go humbly as I have come humbly. You know, the heart of the matter comes down to the motive of our actions, and it's the motive that reveals, y'all get this, the idols of our hearts. If we don't go, if we don't serve, if we don't give, that's its own idol. We're going to get to that maybe here in a little bit. But if we do go, we need to make sure we're not going with idols in mind also. But our hearts are idle factories. Now, let's just get to, let's push a little bit further. Look at the next passage. I'm just telling y'all, I needed this passage for me this week too. You just got to hear my heart in it. I am walking alongside you as a brother in Christ, not as one who says, hey guys, what's going on? Like, why do you not get this? Like, this is a passage that we walk together. And this part I just put, when, not if. Like, that's the catch here. Look at this. 
Thus, when you give to the needy, we're going to stop right there. The key word in there is not needy. That's what we want to spend our time on. Ricky, clarify needy. Like, I feel like I have needs. I feel like they say they have needs, but I don't trust their assessment of their needs. Like, that's not, the attention goes on the word when. When is the operative word. The word to which we must pay full attention is when. Like, if I'm you and I'm sitting there and I've got my Bible open, and I've got a pen handy, then when is what I'm underlining. It's what I'm circling. He says, when you give to the needy. Jesus' assumption of his early followers is that they were giving to the needy. His assumption of us today is when we give because he expects us to serve the needy. It's a when, not an if. And in our church culture, we've made it an if and not a when. Y'all, here's, here's the truth. We walk in disobedience because we have made giving and serving the needy a matter of options and not a matter of obedience. I'm going to get to how can we actually begin to work this out in cross life at the very, very end. But I feel like we need the weight of this laid on us. That if Jesus were to come in here today and you hear his words from his mouth, not simply from his word. And he looks at it, he says, by the way, when you go to serve the needy, how many, how many of us would go? Hmm. Because that's where we get in our churches today. We go to consume. We don't go to be conduits of his grace. May cross life never be that. May we come to be equipped and may we go to serve. But we walk in disobedience when we make serving the needy a matter of options and and of options instead of obedience. We probably need to dwell a whole lot more on the expectations of Christ for us instead of the preferences for our lives, y'all. Listen to this. This came from a um, it's from a commentary. But it just does a great job because what Jesus is really talking about here, whenever he says gives to the, give to the needy, um, it's, it goes back to alms. And alms were given to help those who were in need. And so that word alms or almsgiving, like listen to this. The Greek word, and I don't, I'm not going to try that, for almsgiving signifies pity, which prompts relief given in money or in kind to the poor. Though not explicitly mentioned in the English Old Testament, almsgiving is implied as an expression of compassion in the presence of God. I just want to, like, I'm going to take you to a Deuteronomy passage here in a second. We don't see in the Old Testament, like, that he says, hey, go give alms in this way. But I'm going to show you a passage where it's how we take care of the needy, how they took care of the needy around them. But I love this. Almsgiving was an expression of compassion in the presence of God. That when we dwell in the presence of God and we see others, it moves us to pity and compassion, which promotes action. If we're going to dwell on the goodness of God in our lives, then we have to understand that we are to be lights in the goodness of God in others' lives so that they can praise Him. But what tends to happen, great Pharisee that I am, I love to receive His goodness and grace and let it stop right here. It goes on, this commentary. I just thought it does a great job. And so you understand, like, I'm not just trying to lay things out in my own accord. But it does a great job summarizing it. Jesus does not reject almsgiving as futile. Because that's what it would sound like, right? He does not reject it as futile in the search for right standing with God, but stresses the necessity for the right motive, which is in my name. 
He was rebuking the ostentatious charity of his day, which, which drew all attention back to him. It goes on and says, in the early Christian community, like in its purest form, listen to this, in the purest form of the church, the first election of officers, those first deacons, was made to ensure a fair distribution of alms. It was to make sure that the needy were taken care of. It was the needs of the poor were met in Acts 4. And every Christian was exhorted to lay by on the first day of each week some portion of his profits to be applied to the wants of the needy. And we see that in Acts and Romans and 1 Corinthians. Alms are equated with righteousness, not because they justify man. So giving to the needy is equated with being righteous before God, not because they make you righteous. It goes on and says, but because they constitute an action which is right before our God. He gave himself to us. And if he gave himself, if he gave his only son, how much more would he richly give? Right? And we are the recipients of that. But y'all, we're the conduits of it also. So this idea of when, not if, is absolutely important to understand the entire passage. You got to see this in Deuteronomy, just so you understand how it all comes together. In Deuteronomy um, chapter 24, this was just in my daily reading. Deuteronomy, that's an exciting book to get ready for. You're like, quiet time's coming up. Here goes Deuteronomy. And sometimes, you just, sometimes God just says, look at this, Ricky, and how timely that it fell this week, right? Because that's what God does. He's crazy. Okay, crazy good. Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22. Let's get the, the concept here. Because in Israel, God's people... He told them to live differently. And so that's what I find absolutely fascinating about uh, Deuteronomy, Exodus, Numbers, like where we're getting all the law coming in. Here's how a holy God is trying to communicate to a very human people and humanly minded people that this is what holiness begins to look like. It's how he communicates to them. And here's what it says in 24, verse 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Verse 20, when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and therefore I command you to do this. Translation. If you and I were to have a vineyard, an olive tree, or a grape vineyard. Okay, I had to look there. I'm not a farmer. Okay, all right. But if we had those, we would go pick. But then if we realized, oh, I forgot a row or I didn't get all the way done, it was intended to stay there so that the needy would have something. In other words, what we see is ours isn't actually ours. It's meant to also be for the benefit of others. We take what we need. We live on what we need. We give to the needy. Israel was to be mindful of the widow, the orphans, the strangers in their land. And they also had to remember that they also once had nothing, that they were the needy ones and that God gave to them. And therefore, they are to take care of them. This was part of the community ethics. You took care of the needy. One commentator even said in the Old Testament, you don't really read about beggars on the street or the needy because in that community they were provided for. Such should be the nature of the church. When we begin to think of ourselves as stewards and not owners, it does help us to think differently. And I think that that's what we need. 
if God is sovereign, and we know he is, then all that I have, all that the Massingales have in our talents, our treasures, and our time are not mine because I've earned them. They're only mine because he's granted them. All that you have is yours, your time, your talent, your treasures, because God has sovereignly granted them to you. You don't own it. You steward it, just like I do. Will we be good and faithful stewards for his name? That's what this is calling us back to, I think. Y'all with me? Okay. I am responsible, personally responsible, to rightly steward all that I have so that it honors him. And so do you. All that is yours, in your time, your talents, your treasures, we are called to rightly steward it, and we are responsible for that. Look at Matthew 25. Spend a lot of time on these first verses, and then, it, you know, it, it all kind of, it's like a roller coaster. Um, Drew and I were talking about roller coasters the other day. There's that climb that, because but you're climbing, and you know that from that one point, you're going to reach that, that apex, and then it's just going to fly from there. I enjoy the tick, 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 tick. Drew's terrified by it, Okay. I don't know where you all stand, but right now we're on the tick, 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 tick thing right here in this passage. We're still building, and this is about to be that apex where we're about to drop off into the the flow of everything. Matthew 25, let's read this humbly, knowing who we are. Matthew 25, 31 through 46, which we will get to, I don't know at our rate, we're about three years out. Okay, so it says, verse 31, when the Son of Man, when Jesus comes in his glory. Jesus is the one speaking here. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, whenever he returns and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Wow. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous ones, the ones who have been on the right, the sheep, they will answer him and saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and in prison or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or, or sick or in prison and we didn't minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And they will go, I'm sorry, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Y'all, when, not if, when we give to the needy, we give to the Lord, for He cares so deeply for them. 
He blesses the righteous. He blesses the poor. He created them both. Let that sink in. He is a creator of both. Those of affluence and those in need, he's a creator of them both. Look at James chapter 1, verse 27. We know these verses. It's just like, it's just like, like pulling it all together so that we can like hammer into this one verse and make sure we understand the expectation of our God who saved us and how that affects the rest of the world and us. James 1.27 says this. Religion, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We know that one's very familiar. We can memorize that one. Very clean, very clear. Y'all, who are the widows and the orphans? They're the needy. But so are the homeless, the foreigners, the poor, those who can't meet their bill. Like the needy are not just the widows and the orphans. Those are just two prime examples for those who have a great need that the church and believers can meet. You know, pure and undefiled religion looks like this. If we bring it all together, pure and undefiled religion is this, when you give to the needy. That's what he expects of us. We've got to keep that motive in check, though. By the way, whenever I say that motive in check, does that mean that, that whenever a group is doing something, they can't post it on Facebook? No, because I think that the world needs to see that the church cares, too. It's why are we posting on Facebook? It's why is that picture going out there? It's why are we talking about it? So that we can go, man, Ricky, you did a great job. I mean, you are a busy fella. But you made time to go do that. I sure did. You know, because God called me to. Thanks for the recognition, by the way. You know, our motives matter in this. Let's look at this. I call this one how and how not. Seems pretty self-explanatory, but let's just make sure we get it. It says, as we do these things, because we will. Do you know why? Because at Cross Life, you can't hide. At Cross Life, we're coming alongside one another, and we're, we're just kind of gently nudging sometimes and going, hey, when are you, you going to do this? By the way, notice you haven't done this, and it gets, you know what? Because accountability is a good thing. Accountability keeps us held together so we can keep pressing forward, shoulder to shoulder. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that echoes throughout the ages. Okay, so it says, sound no trumpet before you. It's an amazing, just so you know, how much time scholars spend on that one. Okay. From what I understand, whenever they would fast, they would sound a trumpet. But they spend way too much time on this one. I settle with this. Don't toot your own horn. That one works for me here in Arkansas. Sound no trumpet before you. In other words, don't proclaim it to everybody as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. We know now he's talking about those Pharisees, right? They love that recognition that they may be praised by others. He says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, see, it's there again. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. What does it all mean? The crux of the issue is this. Not that we're supposed to care for the needy. We get that. It's, it's how we do it. You know, we must have the right motive. It's just going to keep coming back to that. The matters of the heart are what God cares about the most. If we are doing this for the praise of men, then our reward will be the praise of men. 
and we will be satisfied in that. In other words, if we are doing it so that others will see and recognize it, then they're going to have their just reward. I, I will have my reward if others are proclaiming, like, Ricky, how great that is, how compassionate, that's wonderful. Like, if that's what I'm seeking and that's what I get, then I have my reward. That's what that means. If we are doing it for the praise of God, you need to know your Father will see it. We're going to cover that here in just a moment. But our motive is what matters. If we were to peel back the layers of our hearts, because it's multifaceted, and we start to look at our actions and intentions, we may have to grapple with some of the ugliness of who we actually are, and that's uncomfortable. I do think Jesus uses a hyperbole whenever he says, don't even let your right hand or your left hand know what the other is doing. Make sure it's done that secretly. I think that's an exaggeration. The whole point being, because you can't really keep a secret from yourself. If you tried, it can't happen. I've tried. Okay, So you can't keep a secret from yourself. Left hand always knows what the right hand is doing. So it's hyperbole. The whole point of it being that make sure that you're doing it with the right motive. It's not to get the attention of others, but because you sincerely, on the private level of your heart, desire to do this for others. Like, that's the intention. Now, we should give to the needy simply because God expects His people to do it. It's a matter of obedience. And when we do, you and I must do it with a pure heart because, look at this next verse. This is a great verse, by the way. I want to counsel you through this verse real quick. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Y'all, this is a great verse. You're not selfish for wanting that. It's not bad to have joy in that. It's not bad theology to know that you will be rewarded by your Father. Like, that's great and comforting. Like, this instantly comforts me. It makes me confident. And it's Scripture. It's not name it, claim it theology that in doing this, you need to know, like, your Father's going to reward you. It's not bad to rejoice in that. Satan, though, will come in with clouds of doubt and he will try to muddy this all up because then you're so worried about your motive that you're not even doing anything and he stalls you out. And then how dare you want to do this because you're going to be getting a reward. Are you really doing it? I mean, Satan will bring in clouds of doubt to destroy the joy that God has promised to you. It's so simple. When you love other people genuinely and you're going to genuinely love other people, you need to know that your God in heaven sees it and he will reward you. Like, that's okay to know that. Or I just want you to know, he who sees in secret, he knows all the intentions of your heart. Who cares if other people don't see the intention of your heart? He sees the intention of your heart and he sees the sacrifice that nobody else can. And he knows how much it stretches you to do this and he himself will reward you. And that is good. How deep the Father's love for us that he sees everything. And I just want you to know, my counsel, it's good to be happy in that. It's good to know that the sacrifice that you personally know is so seen by the Father, and he will take care of you. All right. I want to give you some balance also. Some balance in all this. Because if we're not careful, we can leave here thinking that, that only secretly serving is the only God-glorifying service that there is, and I actually think that that's unbiblical. I want to give you some passages. Go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. We've been there, but just, just take a look at this. I'm going to give you three passages, and then I'm going to tell you how you can actually begin to put some of this into place, even here within Cross Life. 
some balance. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16 says this. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. Watch this. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Oh, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our works are to be seen. They are to be known by others. You know, we are lights. And we are meant to do good works so that others may see. And this includes how we give to those in need. Why? So there's praise to God. We serve others so that God gets praise. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. This is our passage 2 of 3 right here. In 1 Peter 2, 12. First Peter 2.12 says, Conduct yourselves with such honor among the Gentiles that though they slander you as evildoers, watch this, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. You know what it says? They are to see the good deeds that we do. Why? So that they will glorify God. Take a look at Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 says, I'm sorry, I hear pages, and that's a wonderful sound, so I'm going to wait. And Titus is so short, it gets skipped, like you're flipping and you've got to flip back. Okay, so here we go. Titus 3.14, as he's concluding it all, he says, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Watch this. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So that devotion to doing good works is meant to help those who are in urgent need, and it's also to keep us from being unfruitful. We are to devote ourselves to good works which help cases of urgent needs, and this is equated with fruitfulness and unfruitfulness, how we do that. Like if I'm going to pull all this together, one overarching question that I think uh, that needs to be asked of Cross Life, like corporately, and individually, is how are you meeting the needs of the hurting, the broken, and the needy? Like as a church, how are we doing it? Individually, how are you doing it? The elders will be accountable for how the church is doing it. Personally, we will be accountable for our lives, and you will be accountable for your lives. When you give to the needy, that's the expectation of Christ on our lives. When you pray, we'll cover that one. How do we pray? Like when you pray, that's the expectation that Christ has on us is that we are praying. When you fast, like how do we fast? We'll do a fasting 101 because you know what's not really talked about in our churches anymore or practices a spiritual discipline very well is fasting. We're going to walk through these things. Why? So that we're equipped because our God expects us to be doing these things. He says when, not if. I do love this quote from the Dadash. It was a, co a collection of the apostles' early teachings. They're not in the Bible. Some say that they're apocryphal. Some say that they're, that they're not, they're valid. But I do, the, one, the passages that I see as I go through there, I'm like, that seems really solid. That's a good one to hold on to. Because we know that God speaks through other writers as well, not just 
through here, though this is his canon, but he also has moved wise men to write books and collect things to his glory also. Here's what it says in the Dadash. Do not reject the needy ones, but share everything with your brother and do not say it is your own. For if you are a sharer in the immortal, I love this. If you are a sharer in the immortal, how much more in the mortal? We should be so devoted to God, y'all, that we are devoted to man. And that devotion is evident when we give to those in need. We love those whom he has created and we step in when nobody else is. To not step in is, I believe, what an unbelieving world would simply call unbelievable. Why would the church not meet that need? And get this, if the church is not willing to meet the need, somebody else with evil intent or selfish desire will. All right, so some opportunities. Like, let's actually apply some of this, okay? Let's apply some of it. Some opportunities, and I've got like six of them here, and I'm just going to kind of break them down for you. Like, in Cross Life's life, as we're doing life together, how, what's like a 101 step of how we can start to do this? Number one, by giving to the church. 30% of the tithes and offerings that we bring in go back out to the missions field, right? So 30%, so let's just say you gave $100 today. $30 goes instantly back out of that. But by giving to the church your tithes and offerings, that's one of the priorities of Cross Life is that we keep that outward giving going. Okay, number two, by filling food pantries around town. In Cross Life's early days, we did this, and I've actually found pictures. It was, oh, it's like a nostalgic, like fun thing to look back at. But there, there's like a small group of us, like small enough to sit on the couch in the living room, and we all met at a park, and we prayed together, and we took our kids, and um, I had some Gideon Bibles that I was able to get from a friend, but everybody brought of their own, and we prayed together, and then we just went around town, and we just filled up those pantry boxes, and then we would pray for those who would be going to the pantry box. And yes, can people misuse those? Can they be abused? Absolutely. Our intent was pure and God our Father saw it and we rest in that. We haven't done that in a long time. And Chas and I are talking the other day. She goes, that was such a great thing to do with kids. Why did we stop? And I go, I know, right? It is. But it's also something that like your family could do. You could adopt a pantry box that you're just going to check in every now and then to make sure it has something in there. Or somebody could organize it corporately for the church. I'm going to come back at the very end, but I need you to hear me from the beginning. Don't do every single one of these yourself because then you're going to be overspent and exhausted and probably not able to serve in any other capacity. So this is not everything that everybody should be doing. It's just everything so that all people can be engaged where they are to. By helping with iReach. Bo and Latasha keep this in front of us. With iReach, it's a way for people, preferably churches, to serve international students. Literally, the foreigners and the strangers in our midst. We can do that. I lost my place on my screen. Give me one second. It, it requires preparing a meal or making sure everything's ready and serving them and loving them. Why? So that Christ can be glorified and known. But they keep eye reach in front of us and thank you all for doing it. That's a great way if your heart is for international or strangers or foreigners. Like what a great way to go pour in or pour out. Pour out and then pour in. However that goes. By participating at the Family Rescue Mission, Alyssa keeps this in front of us. The Family Rescue Mission is a homeless shelter for families, and it's, and, and it's here in, in a place so that, I'm sorry, I did that wrong. 
It houses homeless families and families in needs. Moms with kids, parents with kids, dads with kids, single people who have no home, y'all no place to go. And our role is to go in and serve a meal to them so that Christ may be glorified. They also just want people to come play games with kids because there's no family structure to just play with them. Like That's a great way to go serve the needy. By participating, y'all don't know anything about this when someone tell you, by participating with the family portal, and if it were, we were at a theater, there'd be a poster that says, coming soon, okay? <laughs> Rebecca Dye is heading this up for us, and, and um, she's doing a lot of the groundwork. This is a portal by which needs for foster care kids and fostering families, is, is there any other category that we would include there? It's for the biological family, I'm sorry. Whenever there's a family with a need and the kids fall into the category of impoverished or um, endangered, okay. So whenever those families have a need, they get to submit their needs to the portal, which churches, we are going to be one of those. That's what she's been working on. We've been talking about for a couple of months now. It's just taken us a while to get there. They might, this family might say that they need a mattress, a table and chairs, clothes, a dryer, a washer. We just, she was talking to me, bunk beds. And they're going to post those in the portal, and then she shares those with our church, and then our church can says, hey, we can meet that need. But we don't just, like, send the bed to them. We deliver the bed to them, and we get to share the love of Christ and build a relationship with them. Like, we're, that's something that we're going to be doing. Y'all, be intentional. This is another one. By being intentional about those around you. All around you are people in need. And you are fulfilling the mission and the heart of cross life whenever you meet their needs on your own basis also. You don't always have to bring it to the church. The other ones are things corporately we're keeping in front of you. But whenever you are meeting those needs, our desire is not that the church orchestrates all the mission's opportunities. It's that we see that our lives are to be lived on mission. And so you're looking around and you're meeting those needs. So just be very intentional. That's another way you can meet the needs around you. And now this. I need you to be wise, okay? Because we read this passage, the burden gets laid on us, the conviction, and we're ready to go out and we're ready to solve everything we possibly can. So I just want you to be wise. None of this is put out there so that you can do every single one of them. Some of you are going to be drawn to family rescue mission. That's where you need to be serving because that's where God has equipped your heart to serve. Some of you will be going to serve more on iReach, and that's a consistent team because that's where your heart is. Some of you are going to be, your heart was like, oh, filling food pantry, like that, I'm, I care about that. I'm going to, like, that's, you serve where God has equipped you to serve, and in doing so, each of us comes together and so fulfills the body of Christ because we're each equipped differently, and you become kind of that voice for it, and you invite others into it, right? But don't do it all. I also have to include right here, well, what about, Ricky, whenever you're going home and there's a person on the corner and you're like just wondering, do I have to give them money or not because am I going to, is it failing to meet the needs of the needy if I don't give? I'm going to simply put this categorically as be wise. There are times I've given, felt total peace given, giving, and then there are times I have not given and had total peace not giving. You just have to wise and be discerning. One great piece of wisdom that, that um, was shared with us years ago was this lady, she, she couldn't pass them up. 
Like she, oh, she just felt that burden. So what she did, she actually went to McDonald's and she got McDonald's bucks or a McDonald's gift card. And so whenever they said they were hungry, she would give the gift card. That way the money could not be spent on anything else. And then after she had spent those up, then she had kind of basically met her budget for that month for them. And then, so she had a system that worked to meet the needs where she had a conviction. And I remember sitting there going, that's amazing. I want to do that. I never did it. Okay. There are times in those situations where the only thing you can absolutely do is trust the Spirit to tell you what to do in that moment. Is it unloving? I would ask, do you have peace doing it or not doing it? And you just had not your personal peace, but does the Lord want you to do this? And we've had to have those talks with our kids. Why aren't we giving to them? They have a need right there. Look, it says, hungry, homeless, no hope, Jesus loves you, give to me by loving or love Jesus by giving to me. We've had to like walk through those with them. Is there a legit need? Maybe. Am I supposed to be the one who meets that need when you give to the needy? Lord, am I like, what do I do with this? You trust the Lord in everything of all of this. Don't trust Ricky and don't think that Ricky and, and Andy and future elders are going to be sitting there going, hmm, they seem unfruitful. We need to, you're the Lord's work, not ours. We oversee and we walk with you in love, but you're the Lord's and not ours. We know your heart is to love the Lord, and here's how you love the Lord. We love the Lord when we give to the needy. All right, one passage for you to consider, and we'll pray. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this. Church, please hear this. For by grace, for by grace, not your works, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I love this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brothers and sisters, if you and I are waiting on a convenient time to serve and give to the needy, it will never happen. Satan will so crowd your schedule with other obligations and busyness. Serving the needy, scripturally speaking, serving the needy is not a matter of convenience. It is a matter of obedience. It's what will we do with it now that it's before us. But I want you to remember this. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is by God's mercy. Then you now are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he prepared beforehand. And you're the Lord's work. When you give to the needy, Jesus says, this is what Jesus expects of us as a church and as followers of him. We're going to pray. Lord God, teach me what to do with this. Or counsel me. I need your wisdom. But Lord, I also need your eyes so that I can see the needy. But Lord, I also need you to soften my heart because I have allowed it to grow callous to the needs of others. I am so consumed sometimes with my personal needs. Lord, forgive me. You richly loved me and gave to me all that I need. You provide daily for me so that I do not have to be anxious. And you've given enough to me so that I can go serve those who have need. Or teach me in my wicked heart what it means to deny self and to honor you more.
And Lord, thank you for the promise that you are faithful and just and you do reward. You know the work we do, each of us in our personal ministries, and you do reward it. It is not in vain. Lord, work within us with whatever it is you'll do with this scripture and help us to trust you more and more. Amen.